Welcome to Forming the Spirit Within, a teaching ministry of Pastor Brad Riley. Pastor Brad is an associate and teaching pastor at First Church of the Nazarene here in Wichita, Kansas. He is the founder and director of the Merciful Servants of Christ, as well as the author of numerous articles. And now, here's Pastor Brad. Tonight we start week five for the Spirit-Filled Life class. We have all of the classes are up on the podcast. There is a podcast at uh, formingthespiritwithin.org that you can get on that website or you can get it off of podcast players on Apple or Google and all of those good things. So if you've gotten behind, feel free to look at those podcasts. But I want to review with you, each week I put on your notes just a brief review, very brief review of what we've been talking about. So you see week one through week four. Week one, we defined what the spirit-filled life is, and I defined it as the life of God and or Jesus Christ that we mystically and mysteriously participate in. St. Peter said in his epistle, that we become partakers of the divine nature. There is a, it's a great mystery that we actually live somehow, mysteriously, in the life of God. That's critical to the understanding of this class. Critical to the understanding of this class is to understand that Christianity is not just a call to a system of belief. It is that. There is a system of belief. There is a set of doctrines. But it's not just that. It's about participating in the divine life of God and how we do that. That's an amazing thought. That's a, that's a thought I want to encourage you to never stop meditating on. Never stop meditating on the truth that God has invited his creation to participate in his divine life. So we call that the spirit-filled life, the Holy Spirit of God filling us. It's lived out both individually, but it's also lived out corporately. The church is the body of Christ. I know when we say the church, there are hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of kinds of churches. But yet there are, there is only one body of Christ. The extent to which some churches believe sound Christian doctrine and others don't shows us the extent to which they're either in that body or not in that body. What I'm not telling you is that every single Christian church that thinks they're a Christian church is part of the body of Christ. I don't believe that. I believe you have to have sound doctrine. Scripture teaches us about sound doctrine. Now, there are always some doctrines that we disagree on uh, because uni- unity is not necessarily always uniformity. But there is sound doctrine. We know them from the ancient church. This is why the ancient church wrote the Christian creeds. The Nicene Constantinopolitan Creed, uh, the more uh, smaller creed, the Apostles' Creed. These creeds became very, very much statements of belief that to be a Christian, this is what you believed. Um, So all that was kind of week one. Uh, the triune life of God, you know, we're participating in the mystery of the Trinity, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And the spirit-filled life is triune. It's a life filled with awe. It's a life of unity with God. And it's a daily life with God. And then week two, we talked about the powerful name of God. 
the essence of God's being is summed up in his name. A name was always meant to be the essence of that person. And in this case, it's the person of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. All three persons, yet one God. We are commanded, we looked at how Scripture commands us to be filled with the Spirit, not filled with wine. That was Ephesians chapter 5. Be filled with the Holy Spirit, not drunk with wine. Uh, the idea there is the, the verb was a continuous filling, not just a one-time thing, just like we can people continuously drink wine or liquids or whatever. We continuously do everything in our life. We want to continuously be filled with the Holy Spirit. And we talked, week two entered into week three. We carried over the thought of the void. Every human in creation, every human being ever created, every well, there's two created, but lots born. <laughs> Adam and Eve were, were the created ones, but we are all born, so we speak of humanity as God's creation. But every human ever born has a void within them. That void is, Pascal, the great philosopher Pascal said, it's a God-shaped void. Because only God fits it. I don't know if I used the analogy when uh, we were studying week two or three. I don't know if I used the analogy, but when, 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 uh, when our kids were little, Corbin, I don't know if you remember this, but you remember that, that plastic thing that would pull together, it, it, it had cutouts. There was a circle, there was a square, there was a star, there was a triangle, all these different shapes. You kind of remember seeing those played with your grandkids or your kids and things. I can't remember who it might have been Tupperware. Yeah. It was kind of an odd shaped thing, and, and you yep. you had to put the right size piece in the right shaped hole. Or no matter how hard you tried, it wasn't going to go in. You're not going to put a square in a round hole. Okay, so they were made, and that's that's the idea. God has made us. We were made for Him to be in union with Him, to be in life with Him, and because of sin, we were lost. And we're void of that, that total union. And so every human is seeking to fill that void. And this is why if they don't find it in Christ, they are struggling to find it. Some people, even atheists, they're trying to fill the void with something. Everyone is trying to fill that void. And when we, when we can recognize that there is something that fills that void, and the only thing is God, now we're, now we're on the right track. So week three, we, we talked about the difference between having the Holy Spirit and being filled with the Holy Spirit. We, we noted that everyone who is born again, everyone who is saved, is, has the Holy Spirit. Because we cannot believe in Christ, but that the Holy Spirit draws us. Scripture tells us that. But yet we also noted that, you know, really all of humanity has a portion of the Holy Spirit. Because if you're alive, you have the breath of God within you. Remember, Adam was formed of a lump of clay, but it was only the Spirit of God. The Hebrew word was the Ruach, that God breathed into Adam and he became a living being. We are withdraw that breath and we withdraw life. That's the bottom line. So everyone has some part of the Holy Spirit, but it's a different thing. We've been invited. The New Testament invites us to be filled with the Holy Spirit to be sanctified, to be set apart. So we began to talk about that in the, the latter part. We looked at examples in week three and week four. We looked at examples of from the book of Acts, different uh, examples of how people were filled with the Holy Spirit. They received what was called the gift of the Spirit or other places in Scripture called the baptism of the Holy Spirit. These are all terms 
theological type terms that we would talk about when we talk about living the spirit-filled life. Um, and, and so in week four, we introduced that term that the spirit-filled life, what we're really talking about here is the idea of being entirely sanctified. Now, that was just the last time we were together, the idea in week four of being entirely sanctified. Just as salvation comes by faith, sanctification comes by faith. And what does sanctification mean? But it means to be perfect with God. The word sanctify means literally, in the Greek uh, word that's used there, the hagiosmos, this Greek word that, that means to be set apart for its perfect intended use. It's consecrated for its perfect intended use. Okay, That's the idea of holiness. To be saint. So the word for sanctify is the same word in the Greek that we use for the word holy. Same word. Idea of holiness. So you'll hear a lot of interchangeability between holiness, sanctified, the life of holiness, the life of being sanctified. And what we noted was that that life, that holy life, comes by faith, just like the saved life comes by. Salvation is by faith. Holiness is by faith. We're going to get into that a little bit deeper tonight because we actually talked at the end of the class about how are, what does that holy life look like? Well, it looks like God guiding us. It, it, we, with the whole, once we have received the gift of the Holy Spirit, when we have made the decision, like those people in the book of Acts, they were invited, have you received the gift of the Holy Spirit, the Apostle Paul and the other apostles said. And they said, we didn't even know there was one. And they were invited to believe there's the faith and it says that they laid hands upon them and they in most cases not always were they laid hands upon and we realized then it we're not worshiping a form we're worshiping a truth okay the truth of sanctification isn't necessarily god isn't bound by any one form or formula okay there are normative patterns in the worship of the church for the process but the main thing that has to happen is that we have to surrender and we talked about that last time we were together. It's this idea of surrender, complete, total surrender. If I consecrate myself to God, I'm surrendering my will for his will. He wants to have his perfect life, his perfect will, worked out in and through me. Okay? God does not replace our human nature. Okay? There's a cooperation, there's a synergy here of working together. We don't become robots. We don't become perfect because God has somehow given us this gift. We don't become perfect in every aspect of, of like an angelic perfection or an Adam perfect before sin, you see. But we do become perfect. As Jesus said, be ye perfect. The Gospel of Matthew says, be ye perfect, even as your heavenly Father is perfect. Jesus meant to be perfect as for our intention. What were we perfectly intended to do? To live with God. To give God glory. To love him and to love each other. Those are the things that we were perfectly intended to do. And in that sense, we can be perfect. John Wesley, I talked about his book, that he wrote a book. I encourage you all to read it sometime. He wrote a book. Uh, John Wesley, for anyone that doesn't know, was an English clergyman in the Church of England in the 1700s. John Wesley wrote a book credited with a great revival of the English church and what spread to the Americas, and the world knew it as the Wesleyan revival, uh, named for him. 
But this is the teaching of John Wesley. He taught that we must become, subsequent to our salvation, we must become spirit-filled. We must become entirely sanctified. And it is a second work of grace. It's different from just being saved. And we, we looked at how throughout history in this class, in the four weeks of this class, we've looked at how through the history of the church that's been believed. That idea that it was a subsequent work. We saw that in the early church. We saw the apostles going out and finding people who were already believers, but they hadn't been sanctified. They hadn't been filled with the gift of the Holy Spirit. So Wesley wrote a book, and that book was called A Plain Account of Christian Perfection. Now, he wrote many sermons and letters and journals and things that are great to read, but if you haven't read A Plain Account of Christian Perfection, you can read it for free on the Internet. Google it. Read it. It's not all that long. It's a little bit old English, but you can read it. I mean, it's not that old. The 1700s, you can still read it. A few these and thous and thighs. But if you can get past that, you can definitely read it. Um, but what a powerful book where he discusses this idea of us being called to be perfect in our hearts. Not perfect in our lives and perfect in our actions, but perfect in our hearts. Perfectly used of God because we're totally surrendered to God. Now, and when we do that, then we find that God is filling us and God is leading us. He is guiding us. And I gave you a scripture at the end of last time together. It was found from the book of Ephesians, chapter 1, verses 17 and 18. Verse, I'll just start with 16. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 16. Do not cease giving thanks uh, for you while making mention of you in my prayers. This is Paul writing, the Apostle Paul. That, God, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you a spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him. And that means Jesus Christ, of H-I-M, him, Jesus Christ. I pray, verse 18, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened so that you may know what is the hope of his calling, what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints, and what is the surpassing greatness of his power toward us who believe. Wow. John, uh, St. Paul is saying, that there is a life where God leads us by wisdom and with revelation. And in that guiding, that revelation, note that where how he says, how does the wisdom and the revelation come? There's a prepositional phrase right there at the end of verse 17. In the knowledge of him. In the, it is in knowledge of of God in knowledge of Jesus Christ that we gain wisdom and that we gain God's <clears throat> guidance for our life. Well, how do you get to know someone? How can, how can we be said to know God or to know Jesus Christ? We must spend time with him. The, the word to know is a very intimate verb. It, it, in, in, the, in the history of the Old Testament, that word knowledge meant to know them intimately, sexually. Okay, When it said Abraham knew Sarah. There, there was a connotation there that said there was this coming together of intimate union. And when we hear that, what God is calling us to, what St. Paul is saying, is God is calling us. He, said, he even uses those words, the hope of his calling. Oh, that you may know the hope of his calling and the riches of what his glory is for his inheritance 
in the saints. In other words, the saints of God, those are the people that have been called. That when you see the word saints in the New Testament, it means the people of God, the people who have placed their faith in God. Okay? We think of saints as in historically the church has acclaimed someone as a saint, like St. Francis or St. whatever. And that's a proper usage too. Churches are saying, well, these were especially holy people and we know that, that uh, they're with God, but yet at the same time, we're all saints. And that's what they were talking about, the church members in those days, the saints of God. In the writing here. So, with that established in the beginning, let's look at, at, at part two here of your outline. This giving of wisdom and revelation and how God guides us in the knowledge of, of Jesus Christ. Well, the first one I want to, we're going to look at a lot of scriptures tonight. I've put most of them right here on your paper, so you're welcome to look them up if you want to, but I will definitely look them up and read them. But this way you have them for later. The first one I want to talk about is wisdom. Wisdom of the Holy Spirit comes only through knowing him. Okay? You can study and get wisdom in, a, in an earthly way. You can study and get a lot of wisdom. Right? Pick a subject. Go study it, and you can get a lot of wisdom. But when it comes to wisdom that Scripture is talking about, the wisdom for life, it comes only through the knowledge of the Holy Spirit. And the only way to get to know the Holy Spirit is, number one, to believe. Because it's in belief that we place our faith. And in that faith, God comes to us and fills us. So, very important. Let's look at, let's look at just a couple of scriptures here. I'm going to jump back into the Old Testament. Look at the book of Proverbs. In uh, Proverbs chapter 9, tells us we're talking about wisdom tonight. And uh, in Proverbs chapter 9, it says, um, jump into verse 10. Proverbs chapter 9, verse 10. It says, wisdom, it says, fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. So we want to ask the question tonight, what is wisdom? Scripture tells us wisdom is fear of the Lord. Fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And the knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. The only way to really understand God is to get to know Him. Of course, as humans, we can never understand all of God. We're the Creator, but we're invited to get to know God. Okay? We can know Him to the extent that He will allow Himself to be revealed to us. I love that thought. Knowledge of God, God revealing Himself to us. I think it was J.I. Packer that I can give credit to in his book titled Knowing God. Another great book if you haven't read it. Knowing God by J.I. Packer, a theologian of the 20th century. Still alive, actually. Teaches at a British university up in Canada. Regent University, I believe. Um, J.I. Packer wrote, God will always take you deeper than you ever knew you could go. You see, we can never exhaust God. We will never learn enough of him. We will never know him in his entirety. But from now through eternity, we're going to be getting to know him better and better and better. So where does that wisdom begin? Where does that knowledge come from? Fear of the Lord. What does that mean, fear of the Lord? Awe. I think a good word is awe. It's, that's really, if we look in the Hebrew roots here, the idea is 
an awe-struck fear or the awesomeness of God. When we come to realize that God Almighty, creator of heavens and earth, loves us and has invited us back into relationship, wow, there's the beginning of wisdom. That's what I'm saying. Let's jump over to Proverbs chapter 2. Proverbs chapter 2 has a few verses here to look at. There's a lot of wisdom here, so let's, you know, the Proverbs is a book of wisdom, so let's look at just a few verses together. I'll read 10 verses. Proverbs chapter 2, I'm going to read the first 10 verses. My son, if you will receive my sayings and treasure my commandments within you, make your ear attentive to wisdom, incline your heart to understanding. For if you cry for discernment, lift your voice for understanding. If you seek her as silver and search for her as for hidden treasures, then you will discern the fear of the Lord and discover the knowledge of God. For the Lord gives wisdom. From his mouth come knowledge and understanding. He stores up sound wisdom for the upright. He is a shield to those who walk in integrity, guarding the paths of justice. And he preserves the way of his godly ones. Then you will discern righteousness and justice and equity in every good course. For wisdom will enter your heart and knowledge will be pleasant to your soul. We could just keep going and going and going because that's really rich. That's really good stuff. But do you see the invitation? Do you hear the invitation in those words? The, the, the proverb, the writer of the proverb is calling us, he's asking us to incline our ear. He's asking us to cry out for this, with our voice, for this discernment. He even says to seek wisdom and he uses the, the, the uh, notice he uses the pronoun her, okay? Verse four, if you seek her as silver and search for her as hidden treasure. Who's the her? The her is wisdom. Who's the wisdom? The wisdom of God is the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit of God. The the Holy Spirit often uses, I mean, the Old Testament uh, often uses a feminine pronoun for wisdom. Okay, Maybe it does every time. I can't remember, but I know it's pretty much usually feminine pronoun. Why? Um, Does anybody know the Greek name, the Greek word for wisdom? Anybody know the Greek word for wisdom? Sophia. It's definitely a girl's name, yeah. Sophia. Yeah. You ever heard of the Hagia Sophia? It's one of the great wonders of the world. It's, it is uh, the church of Hagia Sophia. That is the church of, in Greek, holy wisdom, which is in what is called Istanbul, which was Constantinople, which that church was the mother church of all Christianity for well, from the time it was built in the 4th century to the time Constantinople fell in the 15th century. It's amazing, isn't it? But today it's a museum of a mosque. They turned it into a mosque. and said, oh, I'd still love to go see it, though. Wow, what an amazing place. I follow it on Twitter. <laughs> I follow the Church of the Holy Wisdom, Hagia Sophia, on Twitter just because they, they put platitudes and wise sayings and I love the pictures and things. So you, never, you can follow all kinds of things on Twitter. It's amazing. Um, so, 
couple of Proverbs for you there that draw us into the wisdom and knowledge of God, getting to know God intimately. Look at James. Go all the way back to the New Testament with me. Towards the far end of the New Testament, James uh, chapter 1, the very first chapter. We see James writing here in verse 5, But if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God. Who gives to all men generously and without reproach, and it will be given to him. So James is telling us exactly what Proverbs did. Cry out for it. You need wisdom? Ask God. Because he gives it generously. God wants to bestow wisdom upon us. He wants to bestow his heart upon us. He wants to fill us with his spirit to live his divine life. Wow. So, one more. Luke chapter 21. Let's hear the words of Jesus. Luke, let me run back here to Luke now. Luke chapter 21. I told you we'd go through a lot of scriptures tonight, but just don't worry if you don't have time to look them up. I'm trying to get through a lot here tonight. Luke chapter 21. Jesus is talking to his disciples, and he's this is this is kind of an end time discussion, talking about the end of all times to them. Um the sign of Christ's coming or the Messiah's coming. And uh, he's talking about the terror and the times of what it will be like to them in those verses from 8 through uh, 14. But in, in 14, he says to them, So make up your minds not to prepare beforehand to defend yourselves. He's telling them when the bad times come. Now, he, he's speaking to them specifically about a time that they will encounter. When they will, they will have to encounter the awesome wrath of terror because of their faith. But he says, don't worry, I'm going to be with you. And he says, make up your mind now, not to prepare beforehand to defend yourself. Verse 15 is our key. For I will give you utterance and wisdom, which none of your opponents will be able to resist or refute. I, I chose that verse tonight because I love the thought that Jesus Christ has promised his followers to give us not only wisdom, and that's what we're studying here, but he says even utterance. What is utterance? What do you think Jesus meant by the word utterance? Talking. He's going to give you your talking points. I'm going to tell you. I'm going to fill your heart with what to say. I was just reading, uh, reading a, I have a book called, the, the, I think it's called The Life of the Spirit. Uh, by William Barclay, a great Bible commentator of the 20, mid-20th century, one of my favorites of the 20th century. Uh, most of my favorites of the ancient days, but I, I love William Barclay. And in his book, on his chapter on uh, what the church needs today, you know, and that was written 70 years ago, 60 years ago or something like that, he said, uh, good sermons are not written, they are given. They're given by inspiration. He, he said, the preacher needs to understand that when he has been moved and filled with the Holy Spirit, Christ will give him the utterance of what to say. It's an anointed. And so much of that has been lost today. That we've, we've, we've lived through, you know, 30, 40 years of academics that have taught us about inductive preaching versus deductive preaching and, and, and storytelling and and, uh, you know, paraphrasing and all these things. 
But the one thing we've forgotten to teach, it seems like, is teach our ministers, our preachers, to rely on the power of the Holy Spirit. Because the, the Holy Spirit is who wants to... I, I don't want to preach to you. I just simply want to be a vessel for God to preach to you. Does that make sense? Um, that's so needed in our world today. Uh, Jesus promised he would give his his disciples utterance and wisdom. Okay, so I gave you several scriptures here to talk about wisdom comes through knowing God. That's what we're talking about here, knowing him through the power of his Holy Spirit. Now, one of the other ways that God guides us when he does give us wisdom, you can say, well, Brad, I, you know, I agree with you and I trust what you're saying and I hear the word, but still life is difficult. And there are times that come up where you look at life and you say, what is the Spirit's will here? What is the Spirit trying to say to me? How do I discern? And, and so I've given you a few scriptures because one of the things scripture tells us to do, scripture tells us to test the spirits. Not every voice that comes into our head is God's. Not every uh, spirit that wants to move us along is God's. Scripture has a lot to say about, uh, specifically in the end of times, scripture tells us that People will want to have their ears tickled and they will want to be carried away by unsound doctrine and every wave of a philosophical teaching. Uh, but let's look at a couple of scriptures to talk to us. Now, let's go to 1 John. 1 John is again back to the, uh, this is a back and forth night. We're back to the end of the New Testament here. Uh, that's <clears throat> near the very end. 1 John. 1 John. 1 John chapter 4. And John opens this chapter with these words. Beloved, do not believe every spirit. <laughs> Just what I was telling you. Do, beloved, do not believe every spirit. Test the spirits to see whether they are from God. Because many false prophets have gone out into the world. Now, in John's writing this in near the end of the first century, and there's already been many false prophets. We're hearing this 2,000 years later. Trust me, there have been many false prophets. And false prophets, as Jesus said, will try to lead away even the elect, if possible. Okay? The, the believers. So what does he say? He says to test the spirits. And he says in verse 2, by this you know the Spirit of God. Because I think it's fair for us to ask, okay, how do we test the spirits? Okay, I believe that. Let's test them. How do we test them? Well, what, what they had to do then, they had a, a litmus test. John's giving them a litmus test, okay? Y'all know what a litmus test is? That's a phrase that we take for granted that we understand what it is. What What, how, what is your understanding of a litmus test? Was it, it? it tests um, acidity and, and alkalinity. So it's the name of an actual scientific test. And you use it in medicine. And you use it in medicine to test acidity, like you're, you're saying. So we use that phrase all the time as the, like the quintessential test. This is the, the perfect test uh, to, to tell. And what the perfect test to John was this, because of what the church was facing then. And it was here in verse 2. By this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. You know, Think about that with me. Go ahead. I don't know if this will help. Jump in. Anything. About, I don't know, six months ago, somewhere in there. 
Uh-huh. Because I've heard this all my life, and yet I was never certain what they meant okay. by sanctification. I, you know, it was you were that that guaranteed you would never backslide and, <laughs> and all of this because you were holy, and, and I thought, mm, you know. And yeah, I test that spirit. <laughs> one morning I was supposed to do what I generally do, just have my devotions. Okay. And I was praying. Actually, I was not. I was more just praising God. Good. And the song, the words of the old song, immortal, invisible, God oh, only wow. lies, in light, inaccessible, hid from our eyes. Most blessed, most glorious, the ancient Still of days. Takes. Almighty, victorious, thy great name we praise. Wow. And the Spirit of God, oh, I wow. had my eyes closed, just came over me. Oh, wow. And I just sat That's there. That's powerful. And... I was almost afraid to open my eyes. I knew there were angels all around me. Amen. And it was something I have, I've never had before. Or mm, since. Mm. It didn't make me perfect. I get disgusted with myself mm. every so often. But that was just one of the most wonderful things that I've done. You said you need to tell the Sunday school class. Yes. Thank you for telling us tonight. But, you, you said it didn't make you perfect. But, <laughs> but did it touch your heart? Oh. It, it touched your heart in a perfect way. It did. Because you were touched by the presence okay. of God's Holy Spirit. And it just, just, wow. Yeah, just do you remember? I mean, do you remember in, remember in Isaiah chapter six where Isaiah has the vision of God, and he sees the angel, oh, this yeah. the seraph that brings a tongue with tongs. He picks up a coal from the altar and touches him, touches his lips, and purifies him in, in his dream, in his vision. Okay. So that that's kind of like what God was touching you. It was a it was a purifying, cleansing this touch. This is what it's all about. It's what it's all about. Let me you you've reminded me of a story here. I brought this book tonight, The Fullness of the Spirit. The Fullness of the Spirit. This is an oldie but a goodie, okay? You can tell by the print and look on it. It's it's classic, okay? I love to read books of dead guys, if you haven't figured that out. Okay, I think the best books are always written by people that are dead. It <laughs> stood the test of time. And this is one of our Nazarene good guys. This is Dr. William Greathouse. Dr. William Greathouse is a great man. Okay, I love his name, Greathouse, because he was a great house of God. <laughs> and he came to dinner at your house. Every time I hear that, I get, I get, I get jealous. <laughs> I, I met him. On two occasions, he was here to preach in our church. On two occasions that I recall, but uh, he was right. He has a book called "The Fullness of the Spirit," and and I'm telling you, this book right here would just be a classic study. It, it has actually in the end of every chapter, it has questions for discussion uh, that we we would do well to just have a whole small group on this book, if you know what I mean. But he brings to us in this one place, he brings to us. The story of John Wesley's sort of similar experience to yours. Uh, So I I want to read it just to see. Um, He said, one of our... I'm getting ahead of myself because actually when I get down to the fivefold, on number three on your outline, the fivefold life guided by the Holy Spirit. Uh, Number two, the spirit of assurance is, is part of that. But I'm just going to, I can't wait. I've got to jump ahead. Okay. So just right down there where it says the spirit of assurance, there are five things I'm telling you. I want to come back to testing the spirits, but we can, we can bring these together tonight. The, the second one listed there, the spirit of assurance. It's 
one of the spirits that God gives us to guide us with, okay? And uh, listen to this uh, from the life of John Wesley, as William Greathouse tells it. One of the deepest longings of the human spirit is the yearning to be accepted. Life becomes almost intolerable unless we know the security of love. But if we know that someone genuinely cares for us, we can bear almost anything. When that one is God, life has found its ultimate security and peace. That's all great house, you know, he's talking. And so now he says, John Wesley relates an experience that many of us can understand. And now he's going to quote John Wesley. Quote, In the evening I went very unwillingly to a society in Aldersgate Street. He writes this in his journal on May the 24th of 1738. Now back to the quote. At this society meeting. It's a Christian society group. Okay. Where one was reading Luther's, that means Martin Luther, the great reformer, Martin Luther's preface to the epistle to the Romans. So he's not reading from the book of Romans. He's reading from the preface that Martin Luther wrote about the book of Romans. Okay, I just interrupted the quote there. Sorry. Um, Back to the quote. About a quarter before nine, while he was describing the change which God works in the heart through faith in Christ, I felt my heart strangely warmed. Describing... I felt my heart changed strangely warmed. I felt I did trust in Christ, Christ alone for my salvation. And an assurance was given me that he had taken away my sins, even mine, and had saved me from the law of sin and death, end quote. You felt the spirit of the God, of the living God, touch you in a, a way that I hope all of us have, and I hope we have many of them. Perhaps they are sometimes far and few in between. I don't know that they have to be far and few in between. We just don't spend enough time with the Holy Spirit. But it's so powerful. When I mean, John Wesley, this was his heartwarming. John Wesley was already a clergyman in the Church of England. You know, he's already saved. He's already a Christian. He, he's, he's a clergyman, he's a minister, he's a you know, pastor, if you will. And, and he didn't even want to go to that meeting because he's struggling. You know, he struggles. I, I went un, unwillingly, but I went. And because he was willing to go, sometimes we don't always feel like being where we need to be. But if we keep ourselves open and obey, God is everywhere with us. And God will put us in certain places where he can touch us best. He needed to do that for John Wesley that night, to give John Wesley assurance, because he was struggling. What was John Wesley struggling? He was struggling with assurance. Am I really saved? Am I really doing God's work in this role as a clergyman? Am I really, is this, you know, everyone has doubts. We wouldn't be human if we didn't have doubts. Yeah, after, Go ahead. after that, since God speaks to me so often through hymns, yes. I thought, blessed assurance, Jesus is mine. Amen. Oh, what a foretaste of glory divine. It never meant that to me before when I had sung it. Oh, that's so beautiful. Uh, Dorothy, that's a beautiful story. <laughs> and, and you know, the hymns 
are great devotions. They are. Oh, my goodness. You can pick up a hymn book sitting there spending time with the Lord, and it will move you in a way sometimes just reading those lyrics and, and that you've never even heard. You know, sometimes we're in church, and if we, I know we don't sing hymns very often, but we actually sing in one tomorrow. Not tomorrow. Tomorrow's not Sunday already. Not yet. Don't rush it. Don't rush it. Okay. <laughs> this Sunday, there, there's a powerful one that fits into my message that we're going to sing. Um, I'll keep you in suspense as to which one it is. It's just one of my most favorites. <laughs> well, you know, they all have their purpose. I and I wish we. I I want to do both. I don't want to live without either one. I want them both. I want them both uh, because they do different things. The hymns hold our doctrine. The hymns teach. They're they're didactic. They actually teach, and they're born out of an experience. Most of the worship songs we sing are also beautiful, but they're they're meant to be an expression of praise. Okay, ninety percent of them are. Okay, and and scriptural. They're they're inspired by scripture. So so I want them both. Okay, it's not an either or because you can always look back into Christian history and find times. But we seem to do either one or the other and not... I know, I know. And blended is the key. I really believe that. Um, yes, Gloria, go ahead. Uh, uh, did you ever hear uh, Dorothy sing? Did I ever hear Dorothy? Yes, I used to sing in the choir with you Dorothy. Are a song player. She sings wonderful. I, I told her one time she ought to sing in the choir. Well, she used to. <laughs> I remember standing up there with her. Well, you know what? Coming down those stairs, I it's challenging. Yeah, it's challenging. If they would put a rail, a rail, that wouldn't cost a whole bunch. Would it get you up there? Huh? Would it get you up there? Maybe. It might. Okay. (laughs) Well, I jumped ahead of myself because I wanted you to hear that. Um, I, I want you to hear this. We might as well spend some time on this because we're there. Okay. The witness of the Spirit. The Word declares, this this quote, this quote of Scripture, okay, I want you to see Romans, the Scripture I gave you there was for that Spirit of Assurance. It's Romans chapter 8, verse 16. And Romans chapter 8, verse 16 says, let me turn back to it real quick. Um, I think I have it here. Too far away. I didn't get that one marked. I marked most of them, so it'd be quick for me to turn to them. Romans 8:16 says this: The Spirit, that's the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit Himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. The Holy Spirit Himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. What is that saying? It's saying that the Holy, the Holy Spirit, what he did for you that day, Dorothy, was he bared, he bared witness with your spirit. There's a double testimony here. There's God's testimony to us, and then it becomes our testimony of what God has done for us and how much he loves us and that we are really truly his. We are really truly saved. We really truly are filled, and we are his child. That's the beauty of this Doctrine of assurance. There is a doctrine of assurance. It should never be taken for granted. Okay? Wesleyan theology, of which we follow, Wesleyan theology does not take the doctrine of assurance for granted. We do not trust in our salvation as a one-time act that I cannot lose. 
that I cannot forfeit, that I cannot give back, because we believe we can turn away from God if we so will to. But we should also understand that, that that's a powerful doctrine, and that, that takes, that's not easy to do. Okay, you, you've got to really shake your fist in the hand of God, I mean in the face of God, to try and turn away from him. He doesn't just let his children go. Okay, But ultimately, if a person wants to, they could apostatize, and I believe that can be borne out through scripture and, and testimony too. But um, So let me jump back up, testing the spirits, because there's a few scriptures I didn't get to there. We'll, we'll do more on the fivefold guided by the Holy Spirit in a minute. So we looked at 1 John. Let's look at 1 Thessalonians. 1 Thessalonians, and we read a verse last week from, or the last time we were together from 1 Thessalonians also, that talked about um, being sanctified holy, that that was God's will. Verse 23 in chapter 5, that he sanctify you wholly or entirely. But what I want to look at here is just a couple of verses earlier in verse 21. In fact, verse uh, 20. Verse 20 of chapter 5, Paul is writing and he says, Do not despise prophetic utterances. What are, what are prophetic utterances? What's a prophetic utterance? We just talked about utterance being somebody's words, what they're saying. Okay, A prophetic utterance would be if I, if I stood up to prophesy. Okay, Now, and prophesy in the New Testament does not mean, really in the scripture, it doesn't mean just predicting future events. That's not what prophecy means, although a lot of people think that's what it means. What it means is foretelling God's truth. So in that sense, to even preach is, 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 is like to prophesy, if you're really foretelling God's truth. And he's saying, there's going to be prophetic utterances in the church. Don't despise them. In the next verse, he tells you what to do. But examine everything carefully and hold fast to that which is good. Just because somebody gets up and says, thus saith the Lord, doesn't mean it's the Lord. we got to test it. you got to test it according to what? So let's go back now to the last one I gave you there. That's the book of Acts. In the book of Acts, chapter 17, we find uh, we find uh, the journeys of Paul and Silas here. And in chapter 17, we'll start at verse 10, it says, And the brethren immediately sent Paul and Silas away by night to Berea. And when they arrived, they went into the synagogue of the Jews... Now these were more noble-minded than those in Thessalonica, for they received the word with great eagerness, examining the scriptures daily to see whether the things were so. That's a fascinating statement. Okay, The Apostle Paul, of whom they've heard of, these are already believers, okay? They're in, they're in Berea. They're the brethren, okay? Okay. Um, No, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. It's the brethren that sent them out, and they, they went to the Jews who were in, so they're not already believers, but they are believers in God. They are Jewish believers in, in Berea, Jewish God believers. And the Apostle Paul and Silas are there to bring the gospel, and in the process of bringing them the gospel, going into the Jewish synagogue to testify and to preach and to prophesy, it says here, that the, the Bereans, 
people at Bria, they, it says they received them eagerly. And But they didn't just believe it. They said, let's test it. And what did they do? What does it tell us that they did? They examined the scriptures. So, see, when Paul and Silas were preaching, what were they preaching? They weren't preaching from the New Testament. The New Testament hadn't been written yet. They're preaching from the Old Testament. The scriptures were the Old Testament. They're preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ from the book of Isaiah and Jeremiah and the book of Psalms. And all these. Christ is everywhere in the Old Testament. Not by name. It doesn't say Jesus Christ, but... But he is everywhere when you begin to read with eyes that are uh, seeking and, and filling by the Holy Spirit. So that's what they proved the gospel with, was the Old Testament. And it's shameful, really, that the church of the modern era just is woefully ignorant on the Old Testament. Because the Old Testament doesn't contradict the New Testament. It's just the New Testament fulfills and completes the Old Testament story of God. But it's definitely there. The Messiah is there. So I wanted to give you that. Wisdom of God comes by knowing him. And as we said last week, knowing him comes by faith. Consecrating our hearts. Allowing him to fill us. Continuing to seek that filling. And testing every spirit and holding fast to that which is true to the scriptures. How do we, what's our litmus test? Right here. Now I'm going to get. I'm going to speak more about. I'm, I'm holding up my Bible for those that are going to be listening on the podcast. When I say right here, it's not pointing at myself. <laughs> holding up the scriptures, okay. And I'm going to get to more of that when I come down to the. Uh, well, we'll just pass on to it right now. This idea of this fivefold spirit, because the first one is the spirit of revelation. Okay. So let me say this about the fivefold. What this is just me coming up with some of this. Okay. This isn't. If you want to challenge me, please go go test it. Go look it up. Um, but the spirit, the fivefold, I'm finding a fivefold life. And there, somebody else might find a threefold life or a sevenfold life or whatever. I've just found five in my studies that I want to concentrate with you tonight. The fivefold life of the spirit-filled believer that is led by the Holy Spirit. What does it look like? Well, it begins with the thought that there is a spirit of revelation, that God does reveal himself to us. And I want to take you back to Psalm 116 to start that conversation. So let me jump back into the Psalms. Did I mark that one? Maybe. Nope, I didn't. Okay, sorry. Take me just a minute here. Psalm 116. Um see where my note is. Yeah, 26. No, it's not 116, sorry. It is 118. Okay, I don't know why I said 116. I wrote that down on your notes wrong. Scratch that 6 out and make it an 8. Okay, it's 100, Psalm 118. And the verses here are uh, verses 26 through 27. You could back up a little bit. I mean, the whole psalm is, is, is good, of course, but here we see Christ in the Old Testament very specifically. Verse 22 says, The stone which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone. That stone is Jesus Christ. We see that quoted by the apostles in the New Testament. 
verse 23, this is the Lord's doing. It is marvelous in our eyes. Verse 24 is the famous verse we hear of the wrote it, you know, this is the day the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. That's a great uh, song. We hear that, you know, that we used to sing it in church. Remember that song? This is the day, this is the day that the Lord has made. Okay. So, uh, verse, verse 25, O Lord, do save, we beseech thee. O Lord, we beseech thee, do send prosperity. And here's my, my verses for you tonight, 26 and 20. Blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. We have blessed you from the house of the Lord. The Lord is God, and he has given us light. The Lord is God, and he has given us light. If you read that in the Hebrew, it would be like saying, he has, given, he has revealed himself to us. Okay? The light of God. He has revealed himself. Blessed is God, for he has revealed himself to us. This is what they're praying. This is a psalm praising God. Blessed is the Lord, for he has revealed himself to us. He's revealed himself to us. The light of God. That's one of John in the New Testament, one of John's favorite metaphors for Jesus Christ. The light of God. The light of the world. The uncreated light. The light that existed before all creation is the light of Christ. The light of God. It's, and he, he has chosen to reveal himself to us. So I just want to throw that out there. <clears throat> but I also want to make a comparison here for you. If I go back to the book of 1 John, all the way back. told you we'd be doing our little biblical calisthenics here. If I go all the way back to the book of 1 John, and I look at chapter 1. I don't think this one's in your notes. But we're speaking about light, Okay. Psalm 118 teaches us that blessed is God who has revealed himself to us through the light of God. And now uh, John says, this is chapter 1, 1 John, verse 5. And this is the message that we have heard from him. Now when he says him, he means Jesus. This is the message that we, we means the apostles. This is the message that we have heard from Jesus to announce to you that God is light. And in him, there is no darkness at all. Okay? 1 John chapter 1, verse 5. God is light, and in him there is no darkness at all. If we say that we have fellowship with him, meaning Jesus or God, and yet we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. And here's my key verse for you. Verse 7. But if we walk in the light, as he himself is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. Now, there's so much there. And it is 725 already. Okay. Sorry, I have five minutes left to wrap this up. And I'm not even going to try to rush through those. We'll just carry them on. on, okay? Because this is too important. What I want you to I want you, I want you to hear something. I'm going to I'm going to draw you a comparison for the life of holiness, the spirit-filled life. It is I want you to think of I'm going to try and give you a, a way to think of it. It is a condition in life, not a state of being in life. I mean it's both, but it's more of a condition. Okay? There are some theologians and some 
Christian theologies that teach it's, it's just a state. You, it's like a transaction. Boom, you trusted, now you're holy. Okay? And, and that's all God sees is that holiness. You're standing in the state of holiness. Okay? But what John is telling us here is, no, it's a condition. It's light. Now, if I said, Corbin, go shut off that wall switch right now, you don't have to do it. But if I told you to go back there and shut off that wall switch, there's no windows in here. It'd be dark, right? And we would no longer be walking in the light. Why? Because there's no longer conditions that avail light to us. So light exists where there is a condition for it to exist. Somebody had to run the wires. Somebody had to put the bulbs in. Somebody had to do the building process. Well, that's our life. That's a metaphor for life. God is our light. He is our builder. He is everything. And, as, and the condition is that we walk with him. Okay? If we, John says, if we walk in the light, this is, a, this is a moving process. It's not a standing in state, just. Yes, it is a moment in time when we believe and we are filled. And there is this, both this crisis moment in time, but yet also this process. John says we must walk in the light as he is in the light. And if we'll do that, we have fellowship with him. And what else does John say? And the blood of Jesus cleanses us from most of our sins. No, he says all of our sins. This is so important. Why why does, I'm just going to get blunt with you. Okay? Why does the church of the Nazarene even exist? God did not need another denomination to try and win people over with. He'd been pre, he's, God's had the gospel on earth for thousands of years and in, in Christian church forms and for 2,000 years. Why does the church of Nazarene exist? We came into being in a period of darkness in, 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 in America, in a period of darkness when the evangelical movement was waning, and there was a need to preach this message of holiness. That it's not just about a belief in the head. It's about a belief in the heart. And it's about surrender. And it's about being entirely consecrated to God and living a holy life. And that is why we came into being. And if we fail to preach that, we don't need to be here. Period. And I'm just going to say it. I'm just going to say it. We, don't, we cease to exist. We cease our calling. If, if we're not going to preach holiness, then what are we in business for? And I'm telling you, there's an awful lot of Nazarenes that don't preach holiness anymore. And the truth is, there's been several that have preached it wrong. I'm just going to say it. Okay, there's been several that have preached it wrong. You said it, Dorothy. You said you grew up hearing this idea that once you were sanctified, you could, you're, you're, just, you're just perfect. You never sin again. Kids, we said, oh, they're saved, sanctified, and petrified. Saved, sanctified, and petrified. Yeah, you know, but they miss. The, there's, there's, yeah. that misses the idea of our human freedom. God, does, William Greathouse says it in this book. He says that God does not. I probably wouldn't be able to. Yeah, 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 yeah. I got it. Here, good, 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 good. Okay, William Greathouse. He quotes uh, <laughs> Dr. D. I. Vanderpool. Anybody remember that name? Okay, it was the general superintendent. Dr. D. I. Vanderpool was. It said he was concluding a sermon to the student body of a Christian college, and he said, quote, It is wonderful to be born of the Spirit and filled with the Spirit, he said, but it's just as wonderful and fully as important 
that we learn to live and walk in the Spirit. End quote. Then he asked his listeners, quote, Now that you are saved and sanctified, what are you going to do about it? What are you going to do about it? Dr. Vanderpool was emphasizing the cardinal truth that life in the Spirit is conditional upon the unfolding, that's the process, the unfolding consecration, obedience, and trust of the believer. He said, Dr. J.B. Chapman, another great uh, former theologian in the Church of the Nazarene, general superintendent, Dr. J.B. Chapman used to stress that the Spirit's presence in our lives is analogous to the light that fills a room. The light is present so long as the conditions obtain which make light possible. For this reason, he urged that we think of the condition rather than the state of holiness. Like I told you, it's both, but think of the condition. Because if you don't have the condition, you're going to lose the state. <laughs> you might, you just might lose the state. You might walk off the path. You know, I, I'm not trying to scare you here. John put it unforgettably, and then he quotes the very verse we just studied. Okay. The two initial crises of Christian experience are essential to the spirit-filled life. The unconverted man must be born again before he can have life in God. But the justified man, that means the born-again man, must be baptized with the Holy Spirit if he is to know the fullness of life in God. You see it? You see the twofold nature of life in God? I'm out of time. But, but I, I, I just I want to go deeper with you, okay? Um, so we're going to look at more, at more elements of this fivefold life guided by the Holy Spirit when we get back together. Okay, and uh, and and it's we we started with just a couple of us. We're growing a little in this class. Bring somebody else along. Every 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 single class is worth it. Uh, not because I'm teaching it, but because God's gonna give God's gonna give me utterance. Okay, it's not about me. Okay, I'm just pretty weak at this, honestly. But I'm trusting God to give me utterance, and I'm trying to lean on greater minds than mine, my great house, and some of these others. So let's let's close with prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for the gift of your Holy Spirit. Thank you for meeting with us tonight in this room. Thank you for providing light from your word. Help us to walk in that light. And may we give you all our praise. Praise to you, Lord Jesus Christ. For it is in your name that we have gathered in the name of your Father and the precious Holy Spirit that we lift all of this up. For you are one God, now and forever and unto ages of ages. Amen. This has been Forming the Spirit Within. I'm Roger Culver, inviting you to tune in next time as Pastor Brad opens God's Word, helping us to form the Holy Spirit within us. Until then, may grace and peace be with you.